Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Okay, welcome to the Really 007 podcast for our third look into the James Bond songbook. You can find us and listen in on iTunes and Spotify, and we're on social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So tonight, I'm joined by our regular contributors, Rob Park and Chris Goldie, although I don't think Rob's been on for quite some time, so it's good to have you back, gents. Oh, stoked to be here, man. Stoked. Good stuff. But the first time you guys have been on uh, talking about the, the James Bond songbook, so I'm really interested in what you've got to say about all these songs we're going to discuss tonight. But we've also got a very special guest, uh, Mr. Steve Clamp, who I believe is a newsreader, reporter, producer, presenter extraordinaire for ITV. So welcome, Steve, to the podcast. It is great to be here and really nice to be asked to join you guys. I've, I've loved hearing your podcast recently, so thank you. I love that people, you know, like genuine people like Steve, like hear it and go like, yeah, I want to be a part of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's been of minimal use to lots of people over lockdown, I think. <laughs> Back, background noise. But uh, no, good to have you on. And it's all about uh, a relaxed atmosphere, sharing silly opinions and some serious opinions, though. Particularly when we talk about the... Usually when we talk about the current state of the franchise, we get a bit more serious, don't we? Opposed to discussing J.W. Pepper or, or things like that. So. Lots of fun to be had. Anyway, without further ado, nice to meet you, Steve. So just, just a little bit of background on yourself. Uh, what do you do for a living and how did you get into James Bond? Okay, so living first. Yeah, I'm, I'm t- Viewers of the telly would say I was a TV presenter, but as you sort of alluded to on my intro, it, it, there's a lot more to it than that. You're a journalist and uh, producer and, and, and writing and stuff. And I, I work for uh, ITV News, um, mostly for their programme Central News, which is in the Midlands. So hi to all those viewers. And uh, I also do little bits and pieces from other shows as well. 
Uh, we've recently been doing a show, series called All Around Britain, which has been on ITV on the network, and uh, I did some stuff for that. And uh, over the years, yeah, I've popped up on a few other things. I was on the BBC for a few years and Sky for a few years. And, um, yeah, I'm kind of one of those people that you probably look at in the street and think, oh, I'm sure I know him from somewhere. And then you realise that it's not actually the uncle you thought I was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and, and, and I, I love my role. But as for James Bond, well, I mean, like a lot of us, in fact, you know, I think I could big ITV up here because I think ITV played a big part in our association with Bond Absolutely. as kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of us will remember a time where you'd, you couldn't easily get a, a VHS or a DVD of, of all the films. And there was always, you could rely on ITV on a, on a bank holiday to put on a, a Bond film. And, uh, and, and, you know, kept the franchise in everyone's, in the forefront of everyone's imagination. That's certainly where I first saw the Bond films would have been on ITV as a kid. And I, I tell you a little funny thing is that you'll obviously remember Never Say Never Again coming out. That was obviously a new film in 83. I don't know when it came on TV, but it would have been probably mid to late 80s, along with the equivalent Roger Moore or Octopussy. And I, that in my mind made me think they were both James Bond at the same time. I thought Connery and Roger Moore just were both Bond actors at the same time. Obviously, they were for one film, but I mean, I thought all that it just carried on the two of them. And it was I was much older when I found out that yeah. wasn't the case. Like I was probably forty. No, maybe I was younger than that. But yeah, it took a while. And. Um, uh, but I do remember as a kid, and this probably sounds like sacrilege, but as a kid, I remember if it came on a Bond film, I'd start watching it. If it had Connery in it, I'd be like, oh, it's one of the boring ones. And if it was Roger Moore, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm staying for this. Uh, I've, I've changed a little bit. I still love Roger Moore, <laughs> but I also like Connery yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and that's it. I've had a few little Good. minor associations. I, I was dating uh, a, a girl in the 90s whose family worked in films and... Uh, they did a lot on Goldeneye, and they got me a uh, cast and crew film jacket because oh. they knew oh. I was obviously hyper big about Bond. And uh, if she went and did her work experience on Goldeneye. I mean, how nuts is that? Yeah. <laughs> oh. And uh, some of the the scene with the train crashes into the tank. That the, the, obviously it's a model with uh, Derek Meddings was doing all that. Uh, the trees along the side, the little model trees. She planted some of those trees on work experience. I mean, that's nuts, right? <laughs> that's oh. incredible. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the relationship didn't last forever, but I've still got the Bond jacket. I've still got the cast and crew jacket. And I used to, I used to, yeah, I mean, that was amazing. And I used to wear that around college. And uh, and funny enough, at the same time, I just actually got my first TV presenting gig on on a kid's TV show. So I was still at college and I was on telly and I had like this film crew jacket. Can you imagine how... I'd gone from being a complete geek in everyone's eyes to being so cool just for a few months. It was a great time to be alive. (laughs) <laughs> Honestly, I'd have been like if we were on campus I'd have been like I need to find that guy I'd be friends with that guy <laughs> immediately yeah absolutely buy me a pie buy me a pie and, and yeah, yeah. also as a family we never we never went to the cinema much but I, I I certainly the first film I vividly remember seeing in the cinema. There were others before, but vividly was Licensed to Kill. I went as I was thirteen. I don't think I can get arrested for it now. You but you know, blame, yeah, and blame my <laughs> mum. You know, she took me underage to see Licensed to Kill, and uh, and I remember we went. We walked past the the huge queues that were there for Batman, 
And we went in and there was like four of us in the cinema watching License to Kill. But uh, we pretty much had it to ourselves. But um, yeah, that was, I think I had actually probably seen A View to Kill in the Living Daylights, but I I was just too young to clearly remember. I remember having posters that my mum had got us of A View to Kill on the walls. So I can only assume you went to see the film. But I don't. Yeah. I don't vividly remember. Do you it, have the I, ones from Smith's Crisps. Yes, yes. James, my, James had those. Yeah. I was jealous because my brother had <laughs> the one with Roger Moore on the Eiffel Tower, like holding the gun and looking really oh. cool. And I had the one with the helicopter. And it was an action shot. But after a while, I was like, "Well, it could be any helicopter. I want Bond." You know? So <laughs> I did. I was always a little bit jealous of that. But uh, yeah, those were the posters we had. Steve, can I, please, can I ask? Like, um, I've never spoke spoken to anyone who saw Licence to Kill in the cinema, I don't think. So because you don't know anyone old enough, that's what you're saying. <laughs> no, no, as in, like, because we always talk about... Apart like, um, from Anthony Stark, who <laughs> saw it, who was, yeah, was in it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. But, like, because, Chris, you saw Living Daylights in the cinema, didn't you? I did, that was the first one I saw, yeah. Yeah, but, like... I, with that, like Bond having gone harder for Licence to Kill, at 13, how did it leave you when you were in the cinema watching Yeah. That? Do you know what? I didn't... Uh, I was quite a sensitive kid, and yet I didn't get overly shocked by any of it. I, I just was in the moment. I just, for two hours, I was utterly thrilled. And I remember being at school the next day and just... And none of my friends had been to see it. I think they were probably, you know, thinking, oh, I can't believe he's been to see a 15, you know. I was just... I just was blown away. And I just wish more people had been. And I think, you know, Licence to Kill is like... It's an honour Her Majesty's Secret Service. In time, more and more people will come round. And I think, actually, if you listen to podcasts with fans, most fans in Europe are on board with this now. And it's just... Oh, America's always a bit behind. And I think they'll get there in the end. We're flying the flag for license to kill. Okay. Make no bones about that. Oh, yeah, say, it's like, our favourite, basically. By my desk, right? Oh, now. that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That is beautiful. Rob's study is adorned with Dalton images. I must, I must just sorry, just briefly, because I should have mentioned this before with the Golden Eye thing with the family working on it. I did go to the cast and crew premiere as well in Leicester oh, Square. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> so yeah, so there you go. That's really. That's just, that's. Oh. I've got no more stories. You, that's as cool as I got. I peaked in 1995, and it's been a gradual <laughs> slope downhill. So did the franchise. No, no, eighty-nine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh dear me, this is. It's just it's just a joy just to speak to people who have loved it for that long, and I guess like you say, ITV. Growing up, we had it was. Almost, you knew the best ones by the ones you had on video. Like, I think Moonraker, we hadn't recorded on video for some years, so we weren't really aware of that one. And License to Kill, because it was a 15, I don't think we had it on proper video. We couldn't see it at the cinema. Like Batman, I mean, talk two about the best films ever made, never mind in the same week. <laughs> both both 15s and rated. But yeah, when when we when we recorded it, and it was finally on, on the ITV, I mean, it's just... That's one of our favourites, as we unashamedly say, but some of the others we'll talk about. So, in terms of your favourites, Bond, you've said, obviously, Roger Moore. There are some other characters as well, and Connery <laughs> have mentioned, but Dalton's the, the other one, and then the, and then Brosnan, I suppose. But Yeah, I mean... Heck, even Lazenby. Yeah. There's, no, there's no question for me that, <laughs> that my favourite Bond, and I've said this, I, ha- I had a slight waver on this once, but I think that the... the the best James Bond is Timothy Dalton. I just think oh. he brought so much to the role. And it, and okay, this 
this sounds a bit a bit a bit of my wife would call me a dishcloth for this, but I get a bit emotional when I think that Dalton didn't do another film because I feel we yeah. all lost out. I think everybody lost out on oh my God. two films. Did, did, I, I did don't just become best friends, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> word. I mean, I would go as far as to say I don't believe that if they'd had Dalton in a Bond film, they could have made a bad Bond film because I don't think he yeah. would have let it happen. Mm. And plus, his performance would obviously. I'm not saying he would have always made the greatest Bond film. You can't do everything, but I don't believe with him in it a bad Bond film would have been made. And you know what? I'd have been quite happy for John Glenn to do another because I think, oh, I know yeah. there was a bit of friction, I understand, between him him and Dalton on Licence to Kill. But hey, look at the film they came out with. And I, and I think, you know, they probably brought out the best in each other, even if it did mean a, a few arguments, you know. Uh, it, was, it was great. John Glenn's a solid director. He might not be the most artistic <sighs> or whatever, but he's a solid director. And when you've got someone like Timothy Dalton there who's passionate about getting the character right and the scenes right, I, I just think you've got absolute winning formula. And, and it, it does make me a bit emotional that he didn't do more because I just think it's a huge loss for all of us. Uh, but, yeah, I understand why it didn't happen. And uh, and that's the way the, the cookie crumbles. And to be fair to Pierce, I actually thought he was outstanding in Gold Knight. And, yeah. and I thought it was one of those films that... There's certain Bond films that have been important that it, it kept going. Uh, I think, you know... Goldfinger was a definitive Bond film. You know, I wouldn't. It's not actually my favourite Connery film, but I think from a point of view of it making Bond big and 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 then bringing that whole kind of superhero kind of spy thriller with all the gadgets and everything. You've got Goldfinger. I, I think The Spy Who Loved Me was a similar thing. It kind of just bang. Here's a great, great action film just when the series was flagging a bit. And uh, and I think Gold and I probably did similar. And if it hadn't been that Gold and I was so good and Pierce was so good in it. The, the series could well have died at that film, you know, because it was in a, a difficult place. So, you know, fair credit to Pierce, but I, I, I do love Timothy Dalton. We are we to have a moment to moment to pause there. <laughs> no, no, no. A moment of silence. <laughs> so much to take in, Steve. It's uh, it is an emotional business, yeah. particularly with Dalton in the role. My word. Oh, yeah. You got quite emotional last to kill, didn't it? But. And do you know what? I, I, some, I'm, I will shut up about Dalton, I promise. But sometimes when I'm never, watching never. some of the other Dalton. films, I imagine what Dalton would have been like. Just oh. little scenes. I'm like, what look would he have given now? That kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, dear. The look I, he gives when he was married once. I mean, that's Oh, just, no, don't. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. Acting, um, can, I know it's been said on the podcast before, but um, for Steve's benefit, can I. Um, my When I got married in 2013, <laughs> my, brother, my, my brother and I were in protracted negotiations with. Um, uh, oh, the <laughs> where, where, what, what district was this? In? I don't know. But the, the Merseyside uh, Health and Safety about whether we could do the entrance to my wedding as, um, J- as James and Felix <laughs> parachute in in grey. <laughs> Great I mean, suits with tails, and we, we, and we were given the no, we can't do it, but we were going to do it. Yeah, did, would you have had to catch a drug baron before you did the jump? <laughs> yeah. yeah, somewhere off Birkenhead, we were going to catch. Uh... Going fishing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't, but that's, that would have been that's the level of influence that yeah. those films had on us. I mean, um, I totally agree. I find it so hard to accept almost that Dalton only had two cracks at James Bond when he was that good in both incarnations uh, both iterations sorry so yeah I couldn't agree more with everything you've said I, honestly I feel fulfilled as a man hearing what you just said yeah <laughs> yeah I think you're right Steve that Dalton and you know Licence to Kill they're getting a lot more appreciation now from Britain and Europe and 
I think somebody once said recently that the current Bond is usually compared if they're, they're quite popular at the time and it's always like, oh, he, he's going back to Connery and he's the best after Connery. And then, you know, Pete, Brosnan was extremely popular at the time. But then when Craig came along, people was almost, not not laughing at him, but Goldeneye was good, yeah, but, you know, the rest of it was pretty silly and they, they grew them all in with Dying of the Day. Mm. And I think the same happened with Dalton when... Brosnan came along because he was so good and it had been so long, he got forgotten a bit. But now Daniel Craig's doing the, in inverted commas, grittier Bonds. Dalton's been more, I don't know, getting a bit more good reputation among the, the Bond fans. So I'm hoping the same will happen for Pierce because I think his popularity is unquestionable at the time he was, he was Bond. It's just a bit trendy perhaps now to sort of have a little Pierce bashing, particularly on Twitter. Uh, yeah, and I, uh, I feel for Pierce a bit because I think in Goldeneye he showed how brilliant he could be, and and I think in Tomorrow Never Dies he, he was pretty good, but he just didn't have the scripts or the great films. I, I, don't, I mean, obviously, Die Another Day is just woeful, <laughs> uh, but even the world is not enough for, for me. And, and actually, funny enough, you know, I know some people actually quite like it, but for me, I just it feels a bit tortuous and the, the whole Denise Richards thing. You just feel like, why? What were they doing? <laughs> Um, no disrespect to her, but she was just massively miscast in that role, and uh, and I don't know. I just it just didn't fit right with me with, with Pierce. But it, Goldeneye, he he's absolutely great because he's in a great film, and I think if you if he's one of those actors that if you give him a good script and a good film, he'll be good. But he isn't one of those actors perhaps who can salvage a terrible film, whereas some others can can do quite a bit of work there. Nobody could have salvaged Die Another Day. I mean, if you put Timothy Dalton in Die Another well, Day, he would still be an author. I would love to have seen him try. We've got uh, some good twine defenders, but we've, we wouldn't have any major dad defenders, I wouldn't have said. But, uh, yeah, some of it. Some I of don't it. hate The World Isn't Enough. When I walked out the cinema having seen it, you know, I, I thought it was great. But it just in time, I've, I've lost a bit of love for it. Oh, heck. Dying of the Day was the first film I re- I did a bit of film reviewing as a for the, for the BBC some years ago. And it was the first film I went as a critic to go and review was Dying oh. of the Day, and <laughs> actually I found my review I, I don't know where it is now. I found it a couple of years ago when I was moving house, and um, I was I was certainly gentle with my criticism compared to how I knew I actually felt. <laughs> I think I was worried that because it was my first gig I'd gone in overly critical you know and I hadn't just watched it properly you know what I mean I, I was just because I thought it can't be as bad as I just thought it was and then later when I saw it again I realized no actually it was in fact it was worse <laughs> you're watching it as a Bond fan as well aren't you so the expectation yeah, levels you, are so cranked up you want to and like it you really want to love it yeah absolutely yeah yeah but you, there's so much did you I, want to I, like I, Spectre of? oh yeah I, I actually no, I, I remember no, no, um, yeah. No, seriously, I watch, remember watching the first um, sort of 40 minutes and thinking, this isn't bad, this is okay. And then we... Yeah. <laughs> I completely agree, completely agree. And actually, when I walked out of Spectre at the cinema, I didn't load it as much as... It <laughs> no, well, should have it should have been. <laughs> I kind of just went with it, because my expectations yeah. weren't high, put it that way. And I thought, oh, actually, it wasn't bad. There's some great visuals in it and some wonderful set pieces. And I've got admiration for how they do some of those things. I think, wow, you know, that is some work. But then you really start to think, but this is just ridiculous. And to make it effectively the completion of a trilogy, which whether you're big fans of those first two or not, they set up a really intriguing 
really scary, un, you know, uh, underworld criminal organisation. And then the way it was all just kind of revealed was just <laughs> pathetic. Yeah. Yeah, that's the. It was so disappointing that the reveal that Mr. White's role was well, it was nothing really. I mean, yeah, mm. exactly. This incredible organisation that for two films, MI6 had no idea who any of them were, and then Bond finds it all out when they have a little meeting and just announce everything they're doing around a table. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was. Yeah. Almost, it could be Austin Powers would have done that, you know. And it's <laughs> yeah, Purvis and Wade. Uh, so so sorry. <laughs> it reduces the impact of the others, doesn't it? Cause yeah. For have, to have Silver involved with the whole thing is nothing, you know, he was never about yeah. Quantum or Spectre or anything. So spoils that. And as if Casino Real and all, whatever you think about it, that whole storyline gearing up to some clues which are pointed out with sort of photos in a glass booth at the end, exactly like Mission Impossible. Photocopies of photos. Um, <laughs> Photocop, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Don't you think well, that's, you, that. that the, the problem with that is that you've got you've really got to have confidence that, that what you're going to pull off will not only tie everything together but will make sense through all the others other films and clearly that wasn't so what you're doing is that because the absolute failed at that you start to drag down these individual films because yeah. now you you can't really separate it from oh this was all his plan and that kind of it's just ridiculous it's such a shame this is why I do think we need to have just standalone adventures because, right. you know, the the quality of films has been, there. you know, ups and downs and, you know, there's always something to enjoy. But, yeah, I think definitely uh, no more of that nonsense, please. I, I think the only way it can work if you're going to do a, a trilogy of films is that you have the story to start with, a complete story mm-hmm. arc. You're not just like, well, well, we'll we'll make that bit up and make it work when we get there, because that's when you end up with a mess like this. You know, if you take, uh, I'm not a fan of Lord of the Rings, but I know lots of people are, and and, and that's obviously started from a point of having a beginning, middle, and end because it was written already, and then it works. It works as a trilogy, yeah. and and George Lucas's original Star Wars films work pretty much as a trilogy because he he knew where he needed to go, but certainly with the first Star Wars, it works as a standalone film as well. But with this, it just feels like they were making up as they went along. They had great ideas, but then they didn't know where to go with them each time. And they would, yeah. But listen, we're not here to talk about Spectre. Don't do this to me. It's it's late. An episode he wasn't tangent. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. The tangents exactly. are fine. But it's so great when you get to speak to another passionate Bond fan and your conversation just blossoms from there. I wanted to ask Steve, you know, you mentioned that you weren't, um, didn't have high expectations for Spectre. What about No Time to Die? Oh yes, of course. Uh, yeah, I, my expectations are uh, are, are pretty low. But uh, <laughs> th- there's a thing with the Daniel Craig Bond films, and and I don't want to get at them because I think in some respects, I mean, Casino Royale, I think as a film, forget Bond as a film, I think it's a superb action thriller. I think it's absolutely brilliant, and uh, I thought Martin Campbell did a great job, and and it's terrific. But they're not my Bond films at all. I just I can't say that enough. But hey, you know what? They've made more money than any of the other bonds, or certainly since you do the whole inflation thing since Thunderball, probably. So there's there's a big public enjoying them, and that's great. And obviously, Eon aren't going to listen to me and go. Actually, <laughs> do you know what? The billion quid we made on Skyfall. Let's not do that. Let's do License to Kill and and make a hundred million. You know, it's they're not going to listen to me. But like you said uh, about when Craig took over and then all, all of a sudden Dalton gets respect and they don't like Brosnan, I think the mass public are easily, they're, they're fickle. 
Not like Absolutely. Bond fans, but the mass public are fickle. So all of a sudden, I think if the next Bond after this one is uh, someone who's a, you know, a little bit lighter, a bit more humorous, of course, in this day and age, you're going to have a bit more character. You're never going to get away from that, and that's fine. But if it's a bit lighter, and they sell that to you as what you've been waiting for, you know, they market it. There's a line in the trailer where Bond says, I think it's about time we had some fun. You know, you put that into the trailer, and all of a sudden the public go, oh, thank God, because you've had all those miserable films. <laughs> this is what we wanted. You know, and then for five films, you'll suddenly have Happy Bond again. Mm-hmm. And then after that, they'll go, well, we need to be serious now. And it's because the public are fickle, whereas Bond fans, are, are, I think, are less. You know, we, we, we'll see Bond That's for what it is. point. I think that, that, um, that idea of fun, though, I mean, like... Um, I, I correspond it to aspirational, Bond being aspirational. I mean, obviously, growing up, I just wanted to be James Bond. You know, I I would be mortified if my son said to me, I really want to be like that James Bond that was binning Mathis in Quantum of Like, son, where did we go wrong? <laughs> so, you know, but like, to get back to something that is aspirational and fun, like you say, would be such a tonic. It really would be. I don't what we're going to get that. What, what I will say for Spectre was that it, it, was it just me or did it look like for the first time in four films, Daniel Craig actually looked like he was having a bit of fun? Which <laughs> was for me, I think that's maybe why I enjoyed it in the cinema because I couldn't believe he smiled yeah. two, maybe three times yeah. in the film. <laughs> and he made a couple of gags and I was like, oh, actually, okay. But then, of course, you reflect on how awful the story was and it lets it down. <laughs> yeah. But um, but I did feel like he was just starting to have a bit of fun in that film. I'd agree. Um, until Daniel Craig um, nods at a double-taking pigeon, he'll he'll not be James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> he did look at a rat, didn't he, in Spectre, or a mouse or something. Yeah. <laughs> Some sort of weird moment. Yeah. More of that, please. No. no yeah, I'm joking, I'm joking, yeah. I'm joking. We like that. We might get back onto this topic later because one of the songs uh, we're going to discuss tonight is from a Daniel Craig film. Really 007 is part of the Pod Dojo Network. We will start with a choice that Steve has submitted and it's possibly one of the top two or three most best loved, I think. Not just by Bond fans, but by the general public. It's for The Spy Love Me and it's Nobody Does It Better. This is, I think, was it the first first Bond song not to have the title in the lyrics? So it was pioneering in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously it does get mentioned in the lyrics of the song, but it's not the yes. title. I'll tell you what, for me, I mentioned earlier how I think there are certain defining films that have, that mean that Bond still exists to this day. And as a Goldfinger, I think it's one. Obviously Doctor No, but then Goldfinger because it... it made him into something bigger uh, and Thunderball capitalised on that but I think Goldfinger was pivotal and then uh, we went through George Lazenby and Connery came back and then Roger Moore took over Live and Let Die did pretty well but Man with the Golden Gun it had a pretty poor time at the box office and for the first time this series that has been pretty steady is looking a bit shaky and I think it was a real a lot of credit goes to to uh, Cubby Broccoli and those around him for taking a bit of a gamble with The Spy Love Me because they spent quite a lot more money on it, bearing in mind they just had their worst box office return in the previous film. You could think, well, hang on here, we need to we need to tighten our belts here. But they spent the most they'd spent on a Bond film on The Spy Love Me. They made a film that has got so many classic elements in it. You can just reel them off. You know, A, it's brilliantly cast. Moore's brilliant. Uh, Barbara Back's brilliant. 
it's brilliantly set up. You've obviously got the stunt with the ski jump. You've got the Lotus that goes underwater. You've got Jaws, one of the greatest henchmen in, in the film. You've got a story that really is very clever in the way it brings everything together. The pre-title sequence ties in with the rest of the film. That becomes what you think is just a, mm. an aimless bit of action actually becomes a real thread through the film, how she is going to kill Bond because of one of the, you know, one of the stooges he's shot in the opening scene. And it makes you... Actually, isn't it a nice touch that it makes you realise that those are real people too, you know? just people who get killed in moments you don't think about later in the film it's like no but actually someone was in love with him and you've got some fantastic special effects for the time i mean my goodness the model effects in that film are better than some of the stuff i see today and you've got brilliant one-liners oh i could go on and on and on and on and to cap it all off you've got the song that basically says this is why we love james bond nobody does it better Hooray. If we want to get, if we want to get a tissue now, uh, wipe your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just like a call to well, arms. Absolutely amazing. Call to arms. Well, I do know, Steve, that um, <laughs> in a previous episode we discussed we have all the time in the world, and one of our regulars, John, he had that as his wedding song, as they were leaving. Ironically, you know, which is a bit tasteless. <laughs> sort of think back to the plot of uh, the end of the film, but uh, yes, that's become sort of a you know a lovely wedding song, I suppose. But I believe you had this at your wedding. Nobody does it yeah, better. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I, I, I had it as uh, I had two Bond songs. I just checked. There was just two. There was possibly more. There was definitely two. Uh, this was the the first dance. Was nobody does it better? Oh, and uh, you know, we start. Yeah. We, well, <laughs> <laughs> I just like to speak the truth. Um, yeah. <laughs> and we did the usual kind of slightly awkward uh, shuffling around the dance floor. But when it gets to the uh, the kind of little instrumental bit, I backed away and played an invisible trumpet and she played an invisible violin. Uh, and then oh. everyone left, really. No, they didn't. <laughs> just uh, yeah, so that was, our, that was our first dance. And the other Bond song, if you will, was when my wife walked down the aisle. Uh, she walked down to, uh, well, it's actually called Wine with Stacy. No. Mm. Oh, yes. right, Steve. 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 <laughs> you, can't, you can't drop this that is, in now. This is the most... Us thing we've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, most beautiful uh, flute instrumental. Oh. One of the greatest songs. Do you, do you have any Brilliant. footage of this that we can enjoy? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's watching now. Honestly, yeah. it's one of the best pieces of music ever. Wine with yeah. Stacy. It is. Well, I think the sc- the score in A View to a Kill is. Uh, yeah. For for anybody who doesn't know, because I I understand the Wine with Stacy sounds a bit random. Yeah, it's effectively the, the romantic <laughs> instrumental version yeah. of the theme to A View to a Kill. And uh, I made my wife, before we got married, as a kind of a tester, a test of water to see if she was actually worth marrying. Uh, she'd never seen a Bond film. Can you believe that? She had oh, never wow. seen a Bond film. We got together. And uh, I insisted that she watched every single Bond film. And we did it in order from the beginning. And, and it, we worked it so that it led up to Spectre coming out. And then we went to see Spectre. Um, but oh. A View to a Kill, <laughs> my, my, my wife lived in France for a bit and she speaks fluent French and loves France, loves Paris. And she absolutely loved View to a Kill. I mean, <laughs> we're both huge music fans. I mean, you know, we very rarely have a TV on because we're listening to music all the time. And the, the score in A View to a Kill just blew her away. So... Oh. Even though she, I wouldn't say she became a big Bond fan, she absolutely loves the music. She loves the 
the, the <sighs> Morris Binder sequences. I mean, that, that's what she gets excited for is watching. The, yeah, yeah. Is watching the, <laughs> the guys and the girls on their trampolines and stuff. And, yeah, and yeah. The, uh, that's what she honestly. And uh, but she loved View to Kill, so there was it was an easy argument to suggest we had that piece of music as she uh, as she walked in. I don't know whether you'd be emotional or just so excited that this people were hearing this music. And was like, Do you like this? Do you like this? <laughs> yeah. This is brilliant, isn't it? Do you not like it? <laughs> oh, that's marvellous. I love it. Dear my uh, my father-in-law um, uh, composed or put together some music for our wedding. I'd have loved to have had that scene where with me saying to him, "Yeah, I mean it's nice and all, but it's why I'm with Stacey." <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate Can you not just fade or... into wine with Stacey? Yeah. Yeah. This, is, this is the music he gave Stacey Quiche to. I mean, yeah. <laughs> my, only, my only my only regret was I couldn't find a, a wife to marry who was called Stacey because it would have just fitted so much more neatly. Yeah, it would. Yeah. yeah. What, what can you do? Oh, that's so good. I, I don't mean, know where to begin. To but... As well, so we'll have to watch all the films. I've I've got Jennifer to watch the odd ones. She usually prefers the more modern. Um, the music as well, to try and get her into that, but again, it's only like the newer ones. Mm-hmm. But I think when you, I don't know, there's almost too much pressure. I'm getting nervous. I, I showed her License to Kill fairly recently, and I was, I just couldn't. Oh, it was too tense. But I heard, I'm, I'm I heard that film, podcast, but... and you said that she thought it was newer. She was surprised at how old it was. Is that right? Yeah. Yes, I think. Yeah, I think that was. Yes. Well, it might be John. Great. I can't remember. Yeah, one of us. Yeah. Yeah. So whatever you were um, saying there. Yeah. And, and do you know what I did? Oh, this is, yeah. I probably shouldn't say this because it's just embarrassing. But before each film, I did a sort of short presentation. <laughs> oh, this <laughs> Not is... With a, yes! Who, yes! What a guy. <laughs> Not with a PowerPoint. No PowerPoint involved. No, no. But, uh, I would like, just want like to Like Alan Partridge. Of, <laughs> yeah. The reenactment of Nobody Does It Better. <laughs> I just wanted to kind of set the scene of where we were in the world and where uh, Bond was as a franchise, uh, because of, my wife's a fair bit younger. I'm 45. She's only 30. She would have been mid-20s then. So, you know, she wasn't around for a lot of the years that these Bond films came yeah. out. So I wanted to just set the scene a bit. And uh, I, I don't know. She said she, she enjoyed those introductions. I don't, I don't. Maybe I should do them for everything we watch now. I should get up and do a little introduction. <laughs> brilliant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you'd have to watch them each before she had for anything new like like you do with children yeah i should vet vet all the shows that she wants <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> dear me oh that's so good that is true though because you don't i think we're just recently going to do dimes are forever and a lot of it if you judge it on today's standards there's so much to get offended at there's so much to object to but if you actually just think about the time it was made and the, the climate i mean even we said even the when he rips the the bra off the woman at the beginning and strangles her with it, we were saying that was a reaction to the uh, there was a furore uh, Miss World at the time when they were. <laughs> so I, I'm not I'm not excusing it for a second, but there's usually some kind of context to much of it, and yeah, it, I think you'd you'd probably need to warn her for some of those. For some of those films, <laughs> well, I think, and I think, uh, I, I think Bond's violence towards women or indeed men is always as part of his job. Uh, and Absolutely. okay, you can say it's crossing a line because it's entertainment. But if okay, if we were taking this to the point of it being a real spy, which uh, admittedly in Diamonds Are Forever, no one's thinking Sean Connery's a real spy. <laughs> but 
You just killed James you Bond. Just, yeah. <laughs> Is that who it was? <laughs> but you know that that would happen. You know, to an extent, yeah, it would. violence is going to happen. They, they they're there to to. And, and Dalton, obviously, you know, he, he slaps um, yeah. he, he he slaps Carrie Lowell about, and, and and she's completely in the right. He's completely got it wrong, and he gets it wrong a lot in License to yeah. Kill, which I think is great. Uh, not great that he leads the people getting killed, which he also also does, but it shows <laughs> he's fallible too. And he is uh, funny. If I've read all the Fleming books more than once, and he's fallible in those. You know, he's not. He doesn't always get it right. It's, yeah. it's quite surprising in some some of the books. I'm surprised at how rubbish he actually is. Um, and he has a lot of luck on his side in getting some things solved, which you don't often yeah. see in the film. So, I, yeah. Anyway, what's your favourite of the books? Oh. Sorry, Steve. What which is your favourite of the books? <laughs> yeah. do, you, well, do you know what's what's really strange? Is that I really like the Spy Who Loved Me, which even Fleming hated after he'd oh. written it. Uh, and he wouldn't allow coming back to nobody does it better in the spy love me he wouldn't let the producers use anything from that book and obviously he was long dead by yeah. the time it was made but when he signed over the deal they weren't allowed to use any of the plot from this oh look at that beautiful um yeah i'm loving that Rob, Rob's, Rob's holding up the book right now um, uh, yeah it's it's an old edition as well <laughs> yeah yeah because i've got yeah, all the, the newer versions that's that's class yeah it's my granddad gave this to me so yeah. it's a treasured edition that one i i, I love it but it, yeah it got bad press at the time i think different. and then that, that totally different and it turned Fleming against it which I think is a shame because it's I think it's a really good thriller I really enjoy it and it's very very different um Moonrake is a great book uh like that bizarrely being he's actually MI6 but he's in England doing a case which he Fleming kind of almost apologizes for in the book makes you know it's kind of random reasons why he's allowed to stay in our country and, and investigate uh but it's a good book uh, but in that one he only finds out that um who the baddie is by luck, he, he's still convinced the baddie's a good guy until the baddie tries to kill him. And then it's like, oh, hang on. Maybe you're not so sweet and innocent as I thought. And that shows again mm. that he didn't have, always have all the answers in the books. Uh, so, yeah, the only book I, I really don't like, have, have any of you read You Only Live Twice? Uh, I, I, don't, I just can't get my head around. And I've searched the internet for, for moral support on this because... I just found it to be one of the worst things I'd ever read and it's so out of context to how really? Fleming wrote the rest of the books. Hmm. I found it just absurd. Like, awful. Wow. Really, really awful. And uh, I thought maybe Fleming was ill at that point. You know, it was just, just, but no, there doesn't seem to be. I, I feel yeah. quite alone. So if you guys get a chance to read it, do oh, and just do. give me your feedback wow, on it. Yeah. The, um, I recently read... Um, uh, live and let die which um some terrible attitudes and um uh well things are said in that book but the book itself it, take that outside of it look at it in context and, and when it was written um not excusing anything it's a great thriller it's a super thriller yeah and there's a lot of license to kill in that book isn't there i mean literally. well there is which means that oh, yeah. when i got yeah. um jason gardner's follow-on License to Kill, which is supposed to be a, like a, a legit follow-on from the Fleming books. Um, Felix again gets bitten by a shark. <laughs> <laughs> the cat yeah, yeah. in, in the in the book world. He's been he's been mauled by a shark twice. <laughs> like you know, the second time. I'm like, oh, not again. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, I think it's quite funny that we always talk about License to Kill being the first non, not from a Bond book, but actually it's more from a Bond book than some of the others that were titled after. So many yeah, elements yeah. from that are yeah. from Live and Let, the Live and Let Die book. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. It's great. It's Amazing got like equal, when I equal heart. You, you did go to the moon in Moonraker. If it got on that, he doesn't go to the moon in the film either. I keep saying that. Yeah, just goes into space. Uh, But yeah, so I think think have I done enough to sell? Nobody does it better to you, by the way. (laughs) I don't know how we've ended up where we've ended up. We absolutely love this. Yeah, it needed no selling for me, to be honest. Oh, and and uh, Morris Bind is. Uh, sequence with it yeah. I think is absolutely one of his best uh, first one to actually feature one of the Bond uh, actors Roger Moore he's clearly seen in it and but there's also some yeah. nice silhouette stuff with Moore and the girls there's some real artistic touches where you've got the, 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 the women soldiers and Bond goes to shoot them they're all marching together but then he puts his gun down and just pushes them and they all fall over and it's full of oh. lovely touches that and, and I think one so of his iconic, best yeah Again, for a, for a film that deserved it, it was just fabulous. Do you see it as a? It's not it, as a love song, or do you think it's more like a, an admiration? You know that it's like you're putting Bond on a pedestal, as in, you know, like you said earlier, like this character is the best. You know, he is capable. He can do anything. He can do anything, and he's better than everyone else. Or do you see it as? actually she's saying it about him she sees doesn't see any fault you know it's quite a very romantic view of someone else you know if someone said some of these lyrics if someone thought that about you you know you'd be very happy you know? <laughs> so i just wonder do you see it as a romantic kind of song or just this idea of that he is this amazing brilliant character I think with the with the best songs that have ever been written is that you as the listener can interpret how you feel about it. Mm. And sometimes you can feel differently about a song depending when you hear it. And I think when you see it see and hear it in context of that film, it is a love song about James Bond, about this great spy and he is the greatest. Um, but I think you, you can also have it as uh, as a love song in its own right be, mm-hmm. and, and you can forget all about James Bond and just listen to it as a beautiful song mm-hmm. um, there's a great YouTube video um, which I think I mentioned uh, in one of our tweet conversations uh, of Carly yeah. Simon singing it uh, it's sort of a live concert in the 80s check it out because her voice is beautiful and it's, she's live in some harbour somewhere was it Massachusetts or something but yeah. mid 80s uh, it was a live concert she must have done for, for TV um, but she's just got a beautiful voice and to hear her singing it live where you know it's not got the advantages of studio production uh, it just still her voice is just phenomenal so yeah if you get a chance check it out I've, I've, since I found that I was researching for this podcast I've watched that about 20 times it's my go to make me smile oh. video <laughs> 
There's like an added layer of drums in it as well. I, I was watching it. Oh, there's some yeah, real. It's really yeah. good. There's a really funky bass guitarist behind her who's having the whale of a time. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. I don't, it is seen as a bit soft, I suppose, and it and it because of the success. You then have Moonraker, Fury Eyes Only, All Time High, which are all. I mean, I love them. They're very me. They're like mm. just adult contemporary ballads, aren't they? <laughs> but I mean, you know, you got on one hand, you've got the the big brass, the gold thing about Thunderball, the epic. Then Living Let Die changed it with. Oh, we can have an mm-hmm. amazing rock song, and oh, well, of course, the man with the gun. Well, Chris will defend that. On it. Haley will die on. <laughs> Bar- Barry's live and let die. So uh, yeah, and then of course, yeah, we go back to a view to kill for the more poppy, upbeat ones. But I, I don't know. I, I think it's uh, it's another trendsetter. I've got unusually, of course, it isn't John Barry. It was one of the first um, soundtracks which he didn't do. It's Mar- Marvin Hamlish who did the music, but the guy. I mean, he's, he's. I think he's. Also, he's one of the only sixteen people to have won an Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony. So he's like, oh, and he's won the Pulitzer Prize. So wow, is it? Yeah, is yeah. it? He, 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 I mean, he's done an awful lot. He, he won three Oscars on one night in 1973. We keep mentioning the song that keeps coming up, "The Way We Were" <laughs> from, from the film, "The Way We Were." <laughs> Um, and we always say, yeah, I always remember it being sung in the Naked Gun. I think is it two and a half by the, the guy in the shower, and then and then Leslie Nielsen joins in and blows his cover. Um, but anyway, yeah, um, yeah, I, yeah I and like he also did the, the Sting, film, which is one of John's favourite. Oh wow! Another yeah. example of bomb producers getting the, the best people in a lot of the time, which uh, yeah, I absolutely think hasn't always yeah. been hasn't been recognised, but I think they did. The, the, the Bond seventy seven music that he did. Um, yes. That's the one, isn't it? It's just—it's an outrageous yeah. piece of music. It's—it's it, it's astonishing. Um, if I could add, you know, about perspective on the song. When I was growing up, I always thought that it might be M. <laughs> you know, like he's basking oh, back in word. the office. You know, like another job well done, James. Nobody does it better. Another <laughs> victory for for the Secret Service. You know that kind of thing. I honestly, I thought, always thought it might have been from the British perspective. And apparently, Morris Binder considered using Bernard Lee on the trampoline shots in the. Uh, in the- <laughs> <laughs> Don't say it. I'm so gullible, Steve. I nearly, you know, like can you imagine Bernard Lee like backflips. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Robert Browning, License to Kill. I don't think he's he's going to be singing this, is he? Goodness <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> it's not a country club, double. Only because he's not a very good singer. It's not a country club. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think the start of this song is the perfect, like... You know, um, I like a, a movie that plays yeah. with your... Um, it can play with your... Oh, this is such a weird way of describing it, but like your biology, your physiology a little bit. And you've got that massive high of watching more go off the cliff edge and then the silence and then the Monty Norman theme and then the twinkling piano and your heart I mean I watched it on TV with my kid a couple of nights ago and my heart is just going mad like trying to cope with what I'm seeing but my endorphins are just flying right through my body going this is the best thing ever and it's just great it's like the complete experience for me the way this film start to be honest it's just amazing and the theme that nobody does it better is such a massive part of that i agree entirely and in fact i mean until probably the daniel craig era whenever you were watching anything about bond on tv uh, you know and they wanted to do a a, an edit that just summed bond up bond up it was done to nobody does it better because you hear that and it 
it says everything you want to say about James Bond. Nobody does it better. I don't think you could have said that about Daniel Craig in Quantum of Solace, putting people in skips. You, you don't feel like <laughs> nobody, <laughs> nobody does it better. Nobody is grumpy. Yeah, the song was obviously pretty massive at the time. We're, we're, we're going through some of the, the more recent ones, and the man with the gun, the gun, even Lulu doesn't like it. John Barry hates it. So it, it needed a bit of a big hit, and certainly nobody does it better was. It was number two in America, which is the second biggest song in America ever. There's only one which has been number one. Does it, can anyone remember what that was? We talked about it a lot. Uh, Thunderball? No, we, we've talked it was about it. It was, it was a number one before this. No, after. Sorry, that was confusing. <laughs> oh. um, it's the only one that's been number one in America. And Oh, Adele? Was it no, Adele? no. That was the first number one in England, I think. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, oh, I know what it was in America. It was A View to a Kill. Yes. It was yeah, the. And it got to number two here. Based on Wine with Stacey. Yes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> it all comes back together. Uh, oh, it does. Well, crackers, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, oh, oh, number seven in the UK. Can you imagine what? Like six better songs at the time. <laughs> yeah. So good. Isn't it? <laughs> what is going on? But I mean, its legacy is obviously massive, isn't it? And it was nominated for all the major categories: Oscar, Grammy, and Golden Globe. Uh, it lost to "You Light Up My Life," which actually kept it off the US number one. So, I mean, these are some classic songs that were around at the time. As we said, Marvin Hamlish. And the lyricist, Carol Bayer-Sager, who's very famous, she wrote songs. She was actually going out with uh, Marvin Hamlish. That sounds a bit infantile, sorry. She was in a relationship with Marvin Hamlish at the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> and she then went to marry Burt Bacharach. And together, he, she, he, she wrote the lyrics for a lot of massive songs Sort of the ones I prefer, you know, past his 60s peak, the sort of huge number ones in America, Arthur's theme, you know, the best you can do. Uh, that's what Friends are for, that's the one with the all-star cast. And then my favourite, On My Own, Michael McDonald and oh, Patti LaBelle. What a and there's a Bond link, Patti LaBelle with, if you ask me Patti LaBelle. So. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and she also yeah. did the lyrics to A Groovy Kind of Love. So, this, you know, they, they get some oh. top people involved, don't they? If you're enjoying Really 007, why not follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram? Look us up at Really 007 Pod. If you do not, you will be shot! Chris, though, Chris, you've got the, the Scaramanga one from The Man with the Gilded Gun, haven't you? The tracksuit. I have, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the tracksuit bottoms. Oh. Are you wearing them now? <laughs> no, I'm not. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, they 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 look incredibly comfortable. Yeah. They are. Oh. They are. I think I might just wear them, just even just with like shirt and tie, but them at the bottom oh. with a Guinness. Obviously. <laughs> it's a, it's a look. Thing. I think it would work. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that was my my favourite Bond film up and up until teenage years. The Man with the Golden Gun. Yeah. I loved that as a kid. Oh, you know, of course, I absolutely loved it. I think it was, uh, so much to love. you know, th- things mm-hmm. stick out to you as a kid, and that that car stunt obviously just was like wow. Um, and my dad actually, uh, he wasn't a huge film fan, but he did love Roger Moore yes. uh, as James Bond, and so I think there was a bit of encouragement there. But uh, I, I did, and I loved Pepper, you know, as well. I mean, that sort of stuff that now irritates me a little bit, but then <laughs> I loved that, I loved it, and and I hey, 
I love I love the song. I know I know that yes. um, as you as you said, Barry wasn't keen, and Lulu doesn't think she did a great job. But hey, I I love that song. I think it's great. great it's a good song. Yeah, it's funky. It's a great song. I mean, there's quite a few covers I was I was trolling the internet for. I, I, Rob, I'm really sorry I couldn't find a death metal cover of Nobody Does It Better. But but I tell you what, there's, there's a few of the oh, other songs we're going to discuss. Yeah, I've found some 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 metal of that. I think. I cannot I cannot wait to hear the really old double the really double old seven cover version. Yeah, the me- <laughs> it's going to be the least death metal death metal <laughs> version. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is this is this the point, Tom, where I talk about uh, my trip to the tip this weekend? Oh, please, please uh, do, Rob. Right, um, I I'm a boxing fan, so um, I go to the tip this weekend because um, we've been hoarding cardboard because the tip said it was only for essential stuff <laughs> and cardboard wasn't deemed essential. Right, as soon as it's deemed essential, I'm down there, right, and um, I see. I mean, I see Martin Murray who's uh, St. Helens boxer who's challenged for the world title five times. I followed his career since it began, and I went over to him and I said to him, Martin, I don't want to be that fellow who disturbs you on your family time, but you're a hero of mine, and I appreciate everything you've done, um, and I wish you well for the future. And he said, like, you know, I appreciate that, mate. Appreciate that, you know. And we had a quick chat and whatever, and then we went on our own, you know, days, you know, whatever, and did our own stuff. And as I'm leaving, he, he sees me get into my car, and he starts to walk over. and uh, But I catch him walking over just too late to stop my hand from turning the ignition on my car. And as soon as I turn the ignition and he says, hiya, mate, see you later, <laughs> that kind of thing. The Bluetooth connects to my phone, which is the 007, really 007 podcast episode with Christopher Lee's death metal. <laughs> and it goes off top volume in the middle of the, of the whole tip car park. I can't hear Martin Murray. Martin Murray's trying to talk over me <laughs> over the top of Christopher Lee saying, I spilled the blood of 10,000 Saxon men. <laughs> and we can't hear each other. I'm like, I can't, I can't hear Kids want it on. He's a hero of mine. He walked, uh, I know you. Yeah, car's empty. Yeah, <laughs> but... <laughs> But guess what? Martin Murray's new walk-on oh, yes. for his next fight. <laughs> well, <laughs> exactly. What well, the thing is, the point, the poignancy of the moment was he retired. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like Martin, you know. And I said, like, whatever you do next, I'm, I fully support you. Man. <laughs> um, but well, at least, yeah, you know, I can imagine him sat at home now listening to <laughs> Christopher Lee's death. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> yeah, they're always they're always good value cover versions. Yeah, yeah. Weekend. Yeah, <laughs> the oh, the one for the shaken not stirred was Amy Mann, which was fairly, yeah, did a good job I think. The only other main one I could find was um, Radiohead did a cover, didn't they? And of course they provided the, the song for Spectre, but it was rejected. Now I know everyone pretty much doesn't like the the Sam Smith one, but I don't know. I didn't think the Radiohead one was quite good enough either. Doesn't necessarily mean they should have chosen that, but. I don't think I've heard the Radiohead one, but I mean, with Sam Smith, he's 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 the young guy, isn't he? And, and the producers yeah. are always desperately scared that they won't get young people to go and see these films, so they get a young person yeah. to uh, to do a song. Do you think he's ever seen a Bond film? Oh, well, he, I, I just don't know. He thought he was the first. Uh, the, you know, the only thing, gay guy the only thing Oscar, I will so. say. <laughs> Yeah, that's what he said in his speech, yeah. The only thing I would say about 
I did like that in Inspector you got little bits of little orchestrations of that yes. song in other parts of the film and sometimes you don't that hasn't happened recently with Bond films and I think that's a big loss so I did like the inclusion of it throughout the film in, in little places but I didn't like the song uh, in, in itself I thought it was possibly well possibly the weakest uh, Bond song for me but certainly up there the mm. Top two or three, Paul. My brother um, went up on and did karaoke of it at my mum's 65th, <laughs> and he absolutely smashed it. Unlike Sam Smith. He murdered it. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dear me. But do you like it, yeah. uh, Steve, when the theme runs through? Like Wyman Stacey, it's so nice to hear different versions of it. We will get to the Living yeah. Daylights, which you know, does yeah, it so well, doesn't it? In, three different songs but it, nobody does it better when you just get yeah. the occasional is it like a saxophone version of it isn't there when the shared mm. men, you know, shared badly warmth and positive mental attitude and all that scene you know. oh yeah <laughs> and it just shows the it, it shows it all ties in yeah. with, I think with some of the films the the opening track is, is perhaps done after the film has been scored and, yeah. and then you don't quite get that tie in do you I don't think in Goldeneye, for example, I don't think Eric Serra <laughs> used any of the actual Goldeneye track in the film, which is a shame because it's better than anything else yes. he did in the film. Yeah. So they could have just run that through the whole oh. film and I'd have been like, well, that's, that's better. It, unusually, of course, Licence to Kill, though. They didn't, they didn't yeah. use that, but the yeah. score was still yeah, good. Yeah, it's a good so. score, that, yeah. Very respectful, though, that score. It knew exactly what he yeah. was trying to do, who it was catered for, knew what the source material was. Yeah. Absolutely. There are. I've got during my two floors with license to kill, and this they're very minor. Oh well. So whoa. you won't. I don't think you'll hate me. Are you ready for this? Because I don't. Yeah, I, know, I may find I'm suddenly cut off the podcast at this point. <laughs> <laughs> suddenly we have technical difficulties. <laughs> no, I think if, if I point out my two flaws with the film, it'll make me realize how much I love it because they're so minor. They're so minor. One is uh, the maggots in that drawer which just looked like cooked pasta which is apparently what they used and it doesn't <laughs> fool me at all I remember reading nice like, noises though yeah it was like a, they said um, what, what you wouldn't believe was that actually that's just cooked pasta and I'm like <laughs> no because it just looks like cooked pasta yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh so no so that's what and like, how hard would it have been to get some maggots I mean I'm not uh, really yeah. well it's Should a tackle tackle them, yeah fishing yeah, move in it as well <laughs> Fishing <laughs> movie, James Bond fishing movie. <laughs> it really well, is. He, says, he does say he's going fishing, doesn't he? At the end, yeah. Uh, At the end, yeah. It's all, yeah. All Felix's it all phone. ties in. Yeah. 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 <laughs> hey, I've got these maggots, Felix, and they just look like pasta. They're brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> what was the second thing, Steve? You, so you the, objected this, to. I'm really worried. Well, do you know what people say? Dalton isn't the, the, the humour wasn't there, whatever. But I would argue that because I think the humour is spot on with Dalton because it, it, it comes out of reality rather than just a crass one line here and then. And, and hey, Roger Moore can deliver those brilliantly. But, but I think that what Dalton does is the, the scene where he introduces Q to, to, um, to Carrie Lowell and it's like, oh, Q, meet my uncle and all that stuff. <laughs> so the, the timing of Super, it is brilliant. Yeah. It's absolutely, I think it's, it's hilarious because he makes it seem like you can imagine that really happening. You know, he's, this is a guy's like, oh, for goodness sake, you know. Um, but for me, 
there You're is a, a the one-liner, the one-liner, which I just think, I bet Dalton walked off set in a dispute over having to say this, was, <laughs> I think he's met a dead end. Because it's just yeah. so out of place. Uh, yeah. In, in, the, in all that action and tension, and then, and it's so horrific, this guy on a, you know, he's been yeah. stabbed with a forklift truck and driven through a wall. <laughs> it, Dalton's Bond wouldn't say that, you know what I mean? He just wouldn't. And, and, and for me, that's just... It's a, such a, a small thing, and but I swear that I bet Dalton was like I bet there was arguments yeah. for weeks over. I'm not saying it. I'm not saying it. Well, it wasn't in the ITV version, so yeah. well they kept the, they kept the graphic violence, but cut out yeah. his one liner. Yeah, no, no, the other way around, suddenly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the, um, it was great because having grown up on the ITV version. And then getting it on Blu-ray later on, I think it was only last year, I finally saw Felix's real, you know, the extent of his injuries and mm. and oh, also yeah. that moment with Heller as well. But you're right, that moment, he looks like he can't get that line out of his face quick enough. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, he he got the end, Come boots. on! <laughs> He's desperate to get on with it, isn't he? Yeah, it's he awful, met his water so awkward. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. Can I add a third thing that? Because uh, I agree with those. Oh, can I add a third. Oh, whoa, whoa. Well, I know what it's going to be, and I, I, I bet I know what it's going to be, and I bet I actually going to oh, say no. I don't agree. I'm going to Go say on. you don't like how chirpy the conversation is with Felix at the end. <laughs> What a terrible film! I don't mind that. No, I don't. I, why, that's not a problem for me. That's brilliant. Yeah, I love it. I just, just to problem. say because even people who are mourning, and, and you know, I've been there. I'm sure we've all been there. But I've been there. You are not depressed and sad the whole time. You have a phone yeah. call with your friend. It's because you want to have a break from all the emotion. Yeah. So Absolutely. you might actually say, "Hey, you know, great, we caught the guy who did all this. Let's let's go fishing." You know, be like, "Yeah, yeah. great." Now, the moment Felix puts the phone down, and reality returns, but. You know, that's not what the scene is, is it? So I don't have a problem with that. I, I really don't. No, but go I, on, I, go on, Rob. I, ruin I, it for no, me. I'm never going to so watch sorry. it again now. No, no, no. <laughs> it's, it's such. It's it's not anybody's fault apart from behind behind the scenes. But it's it's the sound design of we got twenty keys of Colombian pure in the tankers and go help Heller. And then he turns his, and uh, you know he says, uh, but we've got their money. And then the sound design changes. And there's no echo on Sanchez, and he says. I said, go help Heller. And there's no accent on... There's no accent, sorry. It's such a small thing. So but jarring. Yeah. It's really jarring. And it, it, every time it's like... I'm going to have to watch that again. You've obviously oh, watched this with headphones on, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's just too many times. But, but yeah, that's it. So, no, no, no. Other than that, it's perfect. We found four things in a whole film. That's pretty good going, I think. And we've ruled out the Felix conversation. Yes, yeah, so three. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, so it's only yeah. three. It's only three, yeah. And I think that's <laughs> tenuous at best. <laughs> Chris, I'm sure you'll agree this is probably the most famous cover of Nobody Does It Better. Nobody does it better Makes me feel sick for the man Angelic, absolutely. <laughs> it's not just Russell Watson though. You'll, you'll hear some some of the biggest stars of the, the, the noughties coming in. <laughs> you'll instantly recognise that that is Atomic Kitten. <laughs> I, 
I, I found this on YouTube. I have no idea what was going on, where it's at. But listen to this. Oh. <laughs> it's not for Chris, I don't. <laughs> Toes have killed on the way back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I wish they would. Yeah. Well, oh. it's a great song still. You can't, you can't tell it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is, is that is that Kerry Ah, I, I don't think her voice would be up to this. No, I don't. I don't think she's on there. I think it's the three without her when they changed. So yeah. I never even knew Russell Watson was in Atomic Kid. <laughs> <laughs> he was that night. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you see, he's quick. <laughs> brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. We did a list of ranking when it was, a, it was just after Christmas. Uh, we all sort of had to rank our bonds. We're doing it on Twitter, Steve. I don't know whether you did it, but I did. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Well, the Living Daylights was we voted it our second best, and I mean, says so a lot, doesn't it? When License to Kill was number one. <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for me, I I can't separate them really. It's not. I don't like one more than the other particularly. But the music in Living Daylights is is a massive highlight, and it's John Barry's mm-hmm. last score, his eleventh score, possibly his best. I mean, they were, like on of Majesties, the amount of music this guy's doing. He did three songs, of course. He did the the title song with Aha, and he did If There Was a Man for the, for the end titles, the ballad. And then, of course, we interviewed Necros on the show, Andreas Vishnesky, and he had his own theme tune. It was already written for him, he said. So where has everybody gone? So, I mean, it's just incredible. You know, you've got all, and you've got other themes in the score. I mean, we'll probably do an episode on the score itself, but the three songs, Chris. Just can you can you remember them in the cinema? Or are we a bit too young to remember them? Or I remember the the Aha song just simply because of it was yeah you know, it's the title. Obviously, when it's the title theme, it gets played on the radio and you see you know it on TV and things. But yeah, the 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 song itself, the title song. I just think for me is I think I think Bond themes fall into two categories: a sort of ballady kind of love song or slightly whimsical songs and then there's the kind of action driven and for me this falls in the action one it grabs you straight off it's very upbeat you know it's sort of you know with the drums and obviously it's got you know a guitar in there a bit of a bit of electric guitar in there um but for me it's straight off it it grabs you and it, it drives it for me the song is over before you know too soon. I just think it's a really great theme. Yeah, yeah. It makes me think of um, yeah. It just uh, it's really it's really difficult when you listen to these three songs to not think of the score, and then when you listen to the score to not think of the songs. They're so perfectly interweaved through the entire film that it's it's very difficult to sort of 
to sort of separate them. But obviously, this being the title song, it, it, you know, it really stands out. You know, I do like Aha as, as, as a as a group. Yeah. But it just has this. It, it's this sort of song that that when I hear it, I want to do something exciting. You know, and I love that it, make, it makes you want to go out and and go on an adventure. You know, and that's what you're saying. Like Rob's talk, talks about like Bond being aspirational. It makes you want to go off and you know explore places or you know go off and on adventures and i think that's so great that it kind of grabs you and it but it also has you know there's a few there's a, there's a moment where it sort of goes let's like say goes a little bit whimsical and then the chorus with the drums it gets a bit aggressive and it's just it's for me for, for late you know kind of well, rather modern kind of uh, bond themes i think it's, it's so great and the production's really good it's so layered you know you listen to it there's brass the sax, you know, the saxophone comes through. You got the guitar, you got the synths, you got the piano. Everything is in there, and I just think that it really is what a way to go out to write three great standalone songs and then one of your best scores for the for the Bond franchise. It's yeah. for me. It's and the more you know, let's say what it was the first film I saw at the cinema. So it was, I will always have a special sort of place in my heart. But the more I watch it, the more I just think. It just keeps creeping up that top of the list, you know. And that's the thing with Bond films. You've got your favourites, and then you've got the ones that you appreciate because they are great films, and then you've got the ones where maybe let the filmmaking's less of a... You know, less the quality's a bit questionable, but you're still very fond of them. For me, The Living Daylights is both. I think it's a great film, and I'm very fond of it. And, and it's, yeah, it's... it's, it's it keeps going up. And, and, I keep, and it's the soundtrack that I keep putting on the most at the moment it's it's such a great great piece of music i think that's really well summed up i can't agree with that more i think it's, it's it is a great piece of music and where it's kind of you can say it's of its time because it's got the poppy edge to it but it hasn't dated no. it makes sense no, you know what i mean no, no. A, a lot of it's always that danger with doing anything with a with an element of of kind of time period poppy stuff that that aha were that they that it they would date badly it hasn't dated badly at all it still stands up as a great track yeah, and I think that's that. In, that that's where Barry comes in because because his his musical ear is uh, is of a sort of uh, uh, I suppose a post-war timelessness. That, let's say with the, with the strings and the brass, everything you associate with lush music, and whether you know that's film scores or just you know classical music, you know modern classical music. We shared in the group chat that the album version of Our Hearts, which all the Barry's influence is sort of squeezed out, and that dates, that sounds more of its time than the one that's actually used in the film. And I think that really sums up, you know. And I know obviously they they had the the conflicts, but yeah, I just think for 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 me, it's it's a, it's it's a great song, and it it has danger and intrigue and adventure. Yeah, this is the original. Well, it's not the original, because there was a bit the of... album a, version. Yeah, there was a bit of a fallout, wasn't there? Paul Vaxar, the other songwriter, and John Barry produced a different It's pretty funky, I like this version, but yeah. it's, it's not as Bond, is it? No. It's a lovely beat, that. Mm-hmm. Even the vocals are slightly different as well. Yeah. Yeah, I actually quite like this version. It yeah. has dated a lot more, but yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was listening to it last night, and it, it's quite funky. Yeah, he, he admits the, huh? You know, John Barry's like, <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah, we love that. 
No. You get um, um, you get an extra verse in the uh, in the full length version. Either that when you listen to that, or if you listen to the soundtrack that isn't in the actual title sequence. And there's a word that he pronounces which just doesn't sound like any word that exists in the dictionary. <laughs> I've never worked out what it is. It's um. You know the 100,000 people, I'm the one they blame. It's a kind of reprise of that line, mm. slightly different words. But the last word, I don't know if he says blame, fame. <laughs> yeah. um, fame. So he kind of sort of just goes, blame. <laughs> and my wife and it's I... It's like really posh Scandinavian accent. Yeah, <laughs> we'd have it in the car and over and over we'd try and work out what it was he was singing. I don't think he knew. <laughs> no, no. Oh. We have a whole episode on... Yeah. Those, that you've to <laughs> yeah. Such as, such as, nobody does it better. I used to think that keeps me from running, but just keep me coming. <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah. What is it? Wrong I was like, oh wow. <laughs> Very rude people. Yeah. <laughs> Dear, I mate. remember with, with, with Living Daylights, I remember the first time I watched it was, um, it was New Year's Eve, possibly oh. 1994, five, and it was on ITV, it started at seven o'clock, oh. we were due at a friend's house at 8pm, and uh, <laughs> so we, we, me and my brother were like, obviously, we were massive Bond fans, and we were already collecting all the Bonds from the Reader's Digest, uh, Bond VHS club or whatever that was sending us another one oh yeah possible. yeah oh those yeah. are so good yeah. it's amazing they were so great and the collection was so great in the end but um so it was one of those things where right we know we're going to get this but it's the chance to watch the living daylight the living daylight sorry and um, we're going to have to tape it and we're going to have to watch it but we can only watch the first 45 minutes and you know we both got ready before seven o'clock to sit down and watch it and it was just like it was shattering watching this <laughs> Doubly shattering. <laughs> then at seven forty-five, mum and dad going like, "Right, we're gonna go. Gonna go. <laughs> no, 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 because it was so mega." And then, yeah, out the door we went. Yeah, it was like I can't. To be honest, I can't remember anything of the party. What I can remember still now is getting up the following morning, knocking on my brother's door and going like, "Should we go and watch the rest of Living Daylight?" And going downstairs and watching the second. Yeah, the, like the hour and or you know nearly an hour and a half that was left by that point. But I remember all that all that stuff like uh, the freshness of Dalton's Bond. Uh, that was the first time I'd seen him. Um, better make that's two. That's yeah, I think two. he says that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, better make that's uh, two. Yeah, yeah. It just it was so the music was amazing. But what um, I feel like. Barry's fingerprint on all the music in this film lends to it, and we don't get this anymore, is to a Bond film being an event, a unique event in cinema, which is a, an entire package for, for every part of you, you know, and we don't get that anymore, you know, and we haven't had that for a very long time. And that's not, that's not a criticism of the present day state of things, but how good we had it was that yeah. it was just so like, lucky. it was such a massive, all-encompassing thing. Barry was so incredible. And I've got to be, I'll be the first to admit that I, I didn't appreciate him enough at all until I've got older. When I'm looking back and I'm listening to things and, and then hearing Steve say, going down the aisle to wine with Stacey. Like, it's just, it's almost, it's like, yes, yeah. I can, I, yeah, of course, yeah. It's, it's the fingerprint is the word. Barry's fingerprint on Bond is so indelible. Yeah. Just that, that at times, you know, I always discuss this, particularly on 
you know, on the um, Diamonds Are Forever, where he does he does an awful lot of the heavy lifting when it comes to the actual film yeah. itself, where the it, the music actually offers. It makes the scene more exciting, or certainly makes it more, um, you know, dramatic. And he's so good at building tension through through his music, but also just making it just these. Well, also, <laughs> when, when he sort of, you used to always get those, particularly during the sixties, seventies, those little twinkling little piano versions as yeah. someone walks into a casino, and it just the makes everything, yes, yeah. yeah, so much, yeah. just so classy. I just, oh, and I, th- I think for me. On my list of things that I love about the Bond franchise, he is in the top three. I think for, for, I cannot Absolutely. separate them. I think uh, something that struck me as well with watching watching Bond films is that, and this is on that point that you're making there, really, that if you think about uh, the evolution of cinema, uh, obviously special effects get better all the time sometimes they take a step back we've all seen die another day but they generally get better <laughs> editing techniques improve they can cut stuff faster due to the, the digital suites and stuff now they can shoot stuff in ways they couldn't before because of steady cam and then drones and, and all these everything evolves and gets you know i don't want to say better because it doesn't always make a better film but gets better but what doesn't get better is the ability to score an orchestra mm-hmm. so there is nothing that has changed about orchestrating a film from, well, the 1930s, 40s, 50s, 60s to what you have now. So it's kind of weird that all other elements of films have changed and, you know, have taken on different techniques and, and arguably they're, they're, what, what, what they can do with their vision is greater. But what hasn't changed is the orchestration. So nothing that John Barry did will ever date mm-hmm. because... You can't necessarily do it any better. Nothing changes to make it better. And, and that's why I think you watch those older Bond films and the thing that often stands out is is the music is so good because it hasn't... Unlike the rest of the film where you can see it's dated in the way things are made now, the music hasn't dated at all. It's just beautiful and stunning and, and, and it will never date because technology doesn't change how you work with an orchestra. Yeah, and 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 I don't think none. Of, I don't, you know, let's say in the past we've had you know some great composers that have worked on the Bond films, but no one understands Bond musically better than Barry. And I think you can see that. You know, we've seen like on on Twitter, Stephen Carty took the a, a, yes. a, a, a few seconds from um, Spectre where Bond walks across the sort of um, the ledge and puts Barry's music on. Suddenly. I want to. I want to watch that. Film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Suddenly, Daniel Craig looks cool. Suddenly, it looks like oh, you know, he just. I, I just can't express just just what he brings to these films and just the choices of where to bring in the Bond theme and where to bring in the theme song and then it's just. Oh. He also Stephen Carty also did for um, another scene in Skyfall when he's being led on that yacht with Severine. He put the Mujahideen an opium track from oh, Living Daylights, mm-hmm. and it was just <laughs> just like the most sweeping music. Like, what did people think when they heard that in the in the cinema? Like, <laughs> this is this is more than a Bond film. Like, this is just mm. on another level musically, isn't it? Join us for part two, where we discuss the other songs of the Living Daylights, as well as the classic Another Way to Die.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.